from the 16th chapter of St. John's Gospel. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, Amen, amen, I say to you, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto you have not asked anything in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in Proverbs. The hour cometh when I will no more speak to you in Proverbs, but will show you plainly of the Father. In that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not to you that I ask the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I have come from God. I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world. Again I leave the world, and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, Behold, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now know we that you knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our Lord invites us to prayer. Prayer is the means by which we are in touch with the reality, or to put it more clearly, the truth. God is truth. God is the only reality that exists. We exist only because God has brought us into existence. And he has not destined us only for this world, but our destiny lies in knowing him face to face, seeing him as he is, and being able to love him in his essence. How does this come about? It begins because the Son of God entered into our world. Our Lord in the Gospel said to the disciples, and of course to us, that you have believed that I have come from God and that the Father has sent me, which is in fact a declaration of his divinity. I have come from God, and this is what we profess in our creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. This is his eternal generation within the Blessed Trinity. From all eternity, the Father begets his Son. His Son is his own self-knowledge. And this begetting of the Son, the perfect copy of his invisible image, as St. Paul tells us, the Father loves. He loves the Son with an infinite love, the very love that is his being. And because the Son is the perfect image, the Son loves the Father, as our Lord says elsewhere in St. John's Gospel. And how does the Son love the Father? But in exactly the same manner that the Father loves the Son, with an infinite love. 
And so the Father and the Son love in each other infinitely, eternally, perf perfectly. They breathe together a single breath, which is the Holy Spirit, who is himself the bond of love between Father and Son. And this is the great mystery of the Blessed Trinity, which we as Christians hold fast to. Not that we can possibly understand it, we don't need to understand it, but rather to believe it, and in believing, become part of this great mystery. And so, I have come from God, is a declaration of his divinity. But in the fullness of time, the Father sent his Son into the world, and so our Lord says, I have come from the Father. It is the Father who has sent me, the Father who does the works I have done. I have observed and I have kept the commandments of my Father, in particular, that I should lay down my life for the salvation of the world. And so he comes from the Father in his human nature, taking flesh from the Virgin. He is fully man, true God and true man. And in his human nature, taken from the womb of the Virgin, he works out our salvation on Calvary. But even before he does this, he calls himself the true vine. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in my love. If you remain in my love, then you will do what I command you. And so we are the branches of the true vine. He has grafted us into his mystical body, which is the church. We are to do, because we are his body, what the head has done. And what did the head do but to win salvation for the whole world? the possibility, at least, of salvation for those who believe. And this also is the work of his mystical body, the Church. This is our work as well as branches grafted into the true vine to work for the salvation of all. And how can we do this? But in the same manner that he did. By prayer, prayer to the Father, and by accepting the tribulations and difficulties that are a necessary part of our life here on earth. But how are we to survive those tribulations unless grace is given to us? And how can we obtain grace unless we pray for it? And so here our Lord tells us the, of the necessity of prayer. He says it elsewhere. But here as he makes his way down to the garden on the very night on which he is betrayed, the day before he is to suffer, he speaks once more to us, his disciples, about the necessity of prayer and more particularly how to pray. And so he says that we must ask in his name. And so the prayers of the church always end we ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. 
all of our prayers end with an invocation of the Lord's name. It is through his name that we ask for any benefits that the Father wishes to grant us. Even when we pray to the saints, when we pray to the Blessed Virgin, don't we end our prayers through Christ our Lord? True, we ask the saints to pray for us, but we recognize that they also must intercede for us through Christ our Lord. Why do we need to pray through Christ? Why do we need to invoke his name? For the simple reason that his name, Jesus, means Savior. That's the reason. Because he is the Savior, whenever we pray, he will grant to us, as he has promised in the Gospel, he will grant to us, provided that what we pray for is conducive to our salvation or to the salvation of those for whom we pray. He will not give us anything that would impede or prevent our being saved. He came into the world to save sinners, says St. Paul to Timothy. Know this, that Christ Jesus entered into the world to save sinners. And consequently, anything that obstructs or prevents our prayer will not be given to us. I say this so that we do not become discouraged when we pray and we do not obtain what we ask for. In addition to this, St. James tells us that not only must we pray, but we must pray correctly as well. Now, what is it, what is required that we pray correctly? There are some basic things, five things that we need to do in order to pray correctly. Our prayer must be humble and reverent. Remember who it is we are praying to, the Lord of heaven and earth. We must also pray with contrition because we deserve nothing from God apart from what his goodness gives us. We are sinners. This also we need to keep constantly in mind. We are unworthy of his grace, apart from the fact that Christ himself has made us worthy. We must pray with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And not only faith, but we must pray confidently as well. In addition, we must be persevering in prayer. St. James tells us that one who prays and then turns his mind is like the form of the sea, in and out, without any constancy. And we must be conscious that what we desire is conducive to our salvation. So then, was Yes, we do pray for temporal things. We must also remember 
that the eternal things are more important. And so if we look at these again, these five, and see what examples there are in Scripture. First of all, our prayer must be humble and it must be reverent. In St. Luke's Gospel, we are told there was a woman who suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years. She'd heard about our Lord. A hemorrhage, any um, blood, in, in, in the Jewish law, made the person unclean, and not just the person, but anyone whom they touched. And so this woman had been suffering from this hemorrhage. We cannot even begin to imagine what it meant socially. It was like a lepr leprosy. She wanted to be cured. In fact, we're told the she had spent all her money on the doctors without being any the better for it. She had heard about the Lord, but how could she go to him, the master, the teacher, and explain her condition? Humbly and reverently, she thought, if I but touch the hem of his garments, I will be cured. And so, making her way through the crowd, she touched the hem. How did she get down to the hem? But on her knees. And you can imagine the crowd all around. On her knees, she touches the hem. That is humility and reverence for the person of our Lord. And we're told immediately, the issue of blood dried up and she was well again. The Lord, so that she might not become superstitious or more, to let her know that he was aware of what she had done and that it was he who had cured her, stopped and looked around. Who touched me, he said. And the disciples are exasperated. There's the crowd. How can you say who touched you? Everybody has touched you. True. But there was one woman who touched humbly and reverently. And it wasn't he that was touched, that is his body, or was it? It was the hem of his garments. Yet he regarded this as touching him. And the woman came forward and explained everything. He said, my daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If we, if the hem of our Lord's garments could bring salvation to this woman, how much more we, who are branches grafted onto the true vine, able to bring salvation, if only we could live the fullness of life in Christ? We must also approach the Lord with contrition, recognition of our sins, of our failures, of our infirmities, of our weaknesses, of our coldness of heart and refusal to love, or inability to love as we ought to love. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee prayed, 
looking up in the front of the temple. I thank you, Lord, I'm not like other men, etc., etc. And then, in particular, I'm not like this publican here. The publican, on the other hand, was well aware of what he was, a sinner. He stood at the back humbly, not daring to raise his eyes up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, Be merciful to me, O God, a sinner. He recognized his condition. Christ came into the world for sinners. And our Lord passes judgment. This man, the publican, went home at rights with God. His prayer was answered. When we pray for the forgiveness of our sins, these are always answered, providing, of course, the other conditions are satisfied. We also have to pray with faith and with confidence. The Lord doesn't answer our prayers immediately. He wants us to become ardent, burning with a desire for an answer, a solution to our problems. There was a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was possessed by a demon. And she came to the Lord and said, Lord, help me. My daughter has a demon. Notice how she begins. Help me. My daughter has this problem. She had taken on her daughter's sufferings as her own. And when we take the sufferings of others as our own, we can ask the Lord, help me because their problems are my problems. And the Lord answered her, not a word. And on the contrary, he left the house and walked away. And the woman followed him, crying out. And he said nothing. And the disciples were embarrassed and said to him, Lord, give her what she wants, she's shouting after us. And the Lord said, it is not right to take the food of children and give them to the dogs. And the woman fell at his feet and said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs can eat the scraps that fall from the children, from their master's table. Even the dogs can eat the scraps that fall from their master's table. She knew there was no other means of salvation for her daughter except through him. And she was willing to accept every insult, every rebuff, if only he would give her what she wants. He had called them children, she'd said masters. Dogs, he had called her, yes, she said, I am not worthy, but for the sake of my daughter, I will take this insult. And the Lord said, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And he says to the, said to the woman, 
something he never says to anybody else in Scripture. Let it be done as you will. In other words, he gave to her his power, his almighty power. Whatever you want, let it be done. Because of the greatness of her faith and her perseverance in prayer and the charity, the love for her daughter, which had motivated her, which had animated her. If we are the branches and we have such ardent love and concern for each other, and if we're willing to accept every tribulation, do you not think that the Lord will answer our prayer? Our prayer must also be conducive to our salvation. We have the example of St. Paul, who tells us in 2 Corinthians, A thorn of Satan was given to me, to buffet me, and I besieged the Lord on three times to take it away. And the Lord answered, My power is perfected in weakness. In other words, for your salvation, it is better that you endure this, that you suffer this. If I take it away, who knows into what other sin you will fall. There are many other examples where our Lord refuses to heal because it's not conducive to the salvation of the persons. Even at Fatima, Our Lady said the same thing when she was asked by the children to, for the healing of some people. She said, some I will and some I won't. St. Paul recognized that his sufferings were necessary for the fruitfulness of his work and for his own salvation and the salvation of others. So he says, he, in fact, he boasts of his tribulations. And in Colossians, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings because I'm able to make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Christ's sufferings are full and complete inasmuch as salvation has been won. But inasmuch as salvation has to be applied to each and every member, that is what is lacking. And because we're members of the body of Christ, we have also to put in our share what is required of us as members of Christ. Or as he says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be like me, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me. And so our Lord takes up his cross and he goes to Calvary. He goes there willingly, readily, and lovingly. He is undertaking this for the sake of his bride, the Church. He's doing this for us who are members of his mystical body. He came into the world to save sinners. And so, as the crucifixion begins, what does he do? Exactly what he tells us to do. He prays. And the first word to emerge from his lips, even as the nails are being driven into his hands. Father, forgive. Forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Christ Jesus came 
to save sinners, even those who are crucifying him. And so he shows us how we are to pray. Forgive, Father, forgive. Our prayers will not be heard unless we also are willing to cry out with our Lord, forgive. He wasn't content merely with crying out. He gave a reason why they do not know what they're doing. And does that apply to each and every one of us? We do not know what we're doing when we sin. Then the second word was to the thief. Two thieves, two murderers, brigands, were crucified with him. Both blasphemed. And then one changes. We are only suffering for what we've done wrong, he said. This man is innocent. Turning to the Lord, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord turned to him and did for him what he came to do for all of us. I tell you this day, you will, will be with me in paradise. That is what Christ Jesus came to do, to open paradise to all of us. And not content with this, he gives us assistance as well. His third word from the cross, he looks down and he sees his mother and the disciple whom he loved. We are the ones whom he loves. And he said to his mother, woman, behold your son, nurture him, care for him, raise him up, form him in my own image and likeness. And the prayer of the Virgin does exactly that for us. She who is our mother, she intercedes for us, asking that we be made like her son conform to the image of her only begotten, the firstborn of her womb, the only born of her womb, the first of her children, of her many children. And then the Lord's fourth word, I thirst. For what does he thirst? He thirsts for our salvation. He is parched because of the coldness of our love. He desires it above all things. For apart from Christ Jesus, nothing is real. And so he invites us to pray, to pray to the Father and to ask what we need and require. Not temple things, a long life, health, wealth, consolations, comfort. No, what we must pray for is our salvation and the salvation of the whole world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save each and every one of us. Let us then pray in his name, and so give great glory to God the Father, who has loved us so much, 
that he sent his only begotten Son into our world, to whom be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.